All right, I think we're ready to get going. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Ah, oh, you're not that convincing. Good morning, everybody. Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to go. It's, there's nothing better to do than coming off of an Easter weekend and going right into Revelation. Come on, somebody. Are you excited? <laughs> Listen, welcome to Colwood Church. If you're here for the first time, welcome to you. Welcome to everybody online this morning. My name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here on the team, but we're ready to get going, so let's just jump in right now. Edgar Wisenant wrote a book in 1988, and the book title that he used at that moment was this, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Could Be in 1988. And so he made this book, he placed it into stores, and they quickly realized that as they were approaching the end of 1988, um, Edgar's predictions were not coming true. And so they went to their publishers to try to push the book as fast and as hard as they could to get this out because it couldn't sell in 1989. And so 1988 um, happens, and guess what? The rapture didn't happen. Go figure. And so Edgar decided to write another book. Guess what it was? 89 reasons why the rapture could happen in 1989. Now, some of you may, are, may be familiar with these movies that I'm about to say to you. Thief in the Night, Distant Thunder, Image of the Beast. Has anybody ever seen these movies before? I mean, they're ancient from the 70s and the 80s, and I'm telling you, they are game changers. We watched these movies, and they were all about the end of, the to- end, end of time, end of the world, that Jesus has come, this thing called the rapture had happened, and like, you're, you're watching these videos, and there's this one scene where this blender just keeps spinning around and around and around because that person was raptured and gone, but the blender kept going. Airplanes crashed because the pilot was a Christian, or cars and it was chaos. In fact, one of the scenes of the movie was a guillotine that if you hadn't professed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this guillotine fell on your head. And I am telling you as a kid, I was petrified about what this was all about. I remember going to church every single Sunday, every youth retreat. Anytime I could give my life to Jesus, I would do it because I didn't want to experience the guillotine in the whole entire movie. The premise of these movies was crazy. It literally scared the hell out of you. That was its intent. Like, you need to give yourself. That continued into the 1990s where we were introduced to a worldwide phenomenal um, uh, series called Left Behind. And it continued to 2014 where a motion picture was released about it. People have an infatuation with the end of the world and the end of time. And so we're going to address and try to take a look at it. Have you even noticed that today in our society and in our culture, uh, perhaps you've heard that the end of the world is happening? Have you heard this before? It's, it's kind of funny, right? Because everybody is so petrified that the end of the world is right now. But what happens to the exact same people who actually wrote it 2,000 years ago? Do you think 2,000 years is a good stretch of time for their end of the world? Can you imagine what that would have been like to live through? When Jesus ascends to heaven, that is exactly where the end of the world begins. That was 2,000 years ago. How many of you think the first century people got ripped off? as we're 2,000 years later. So today we're going to approach this book called Revelation. Now, I need your help with something. When you hear the words, the book of Revelation, what comes to your mind? I'm giving you 30 seconds. Turn to a neighbor. If you're online, type it into the chat. I'll watch for you right now. But go ahead. Make some chatter. What comes to your mind when the book of Revelation comes? Share it with your neighbor. Come on, make some noise. I want to hear you. If you don't know, that's okay. Just tell your neighbor how good looking they are. What comes to your mind? 
Okay, so let's bring it back for a second. Uh, let, me, let me take a guess at some of the things that you have probably said with your neighbor or online. Uh, perhaps you said the word when the book of Revelation is announced. Perhaps you said confusion. Perhaps you said tribulation, rapture, hell, dragons, churches, beasts, stars, cats and dogs living together. What's that all about? But perhaps you had this word come into your conversation. That word was fear. Has anybody heard of this before? Now, it's interesting when we land on that word fear because there is nothing more contrary to the character and the person of God than fear. Why people look at the book of Revelation in such a fear mode is counterintuitive to what God's intention was for it. Because my God is not a God of fear. He's a God of hope. And he's a God of love. And yet we have this infatuation with this book called Revelation. Now let me make an admission to all of us today. I have avoided preaching a series on Revelation my entire ministry career, which is over 25 years. I've avoided it. I have used Revelation. I have referenced Revelation, but I've never done a series on it. And I have to admit to you today, it's not because I'm scared of it. This is why I have not done it, because of man's manipulation of it and his tried, predictive, futuristic interpretations of it. It drives me nuts how we have tried to figure it out and the division that it has caused with a lot of people. Here's the funny news. In Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus actually has a comment about this whole entire book of Revelation. He says this, not no one except the Father even knows what's about to happen and when the hour will come. And so why we as a human race have tried to over centuries to figure this out is mind-blowing to me because Jesus himself says, no one knows. G.K. Chesterton says this, though St. John the Evangelist saw many strange monsters in his vision, he saw no creature so wild as one of his own commentators. <laughs> I love that. Like, that's, that's gold right now. So this is what we're dealing with. This is a series today for those of us who are confused. Perhaps you're afraid, or maybe you're just preoccupied with the revelation, the book. I need us to do one thing today, to approach this book and this series together one more time is I all think that we need this thing called humility. Go ahead and say humility with me. Humility. I think we need a humility to approach this together today. That perhaps some of the things that you have taught or have been taught in your past could be wrong or they could not be helpful. The reality is, is that some of the things we have been taught have been very helpful and they have formed our way of thinking. But here's my admission to you today. After all of the hours that I have studied for this series, the multiple books, podcasts, resources that I've read, I'll make this admission, admission to you today. I do not have all the answers, and perhaps I could even be wrong. But I'm gonna come in with an approach that I think with some expertise behind it will help us set a table for what God is wanting to communicate to us. I think it would be fair to say, for all of us in the place today, both in room and online, can you please open up your imaginations to what we're about to discuss over the next few months? Because I actually think the book of Revelation provokes that imagination quite a bit. If you haven't read it, it's fascinating. It's confusing. And it is somewhat scary to a lot of people with the symbols, the imagery, but it is a beautiful, provoking 
of an imagination. And it is something that God has placed into our paths for a particular reason. And so we're going to read it. Now, here's a question for you today. How many of you in your life would like to be blessed? Anybody like to be blessed with anything? Five people. That's fantastic. The rest of you, I'm sorry um, that you're not going to be involved in this. But uh, in Revelation 1 verse 3, it says this. It said, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. So selfish admission again. I'm excited to read this for you because I want the blessing. It's scriptural for me or for you as you teach it. But listen to this. It says, and he blesses all of us who listen to its message. And guess what it says? And obeys what it says. For the time is near. Could you imagine being John in the first century around 92 AD after Jesus Christ, and he writes the words, and the time is near, and we're in 2022. Man, they got ripped off back then. (laughs) The time is near, and Jesus is wanting to say something to us, but he says, listen, we will be blessed when we read this together and when we do what it says. So let's do what it says. Let's take a look at it. First one says, this is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that soon must take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. And this is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then verse 3 happened. We've read it. But this letter is from John, verse 4, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. And somebody said, amen. Amen. But it goes on. Look, he's coming back again on the clouds of heaven. Are you excited for that, church? Because he is coming back. And everyone will see him, even those who pierced him, rejected him, denied him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes and amen. I love these words. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. Don't you love the repetitiveness already in eight verses? The Almighty One. God is trying to make a point that He was, He is. And guess what? He is to come. But this is the word of the Lord. And don't you feel blessed already for having read it and heard it? Now, will we listen to what it says? That's the question mark. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. And as we jump into what has typically been a controversial type of a book, um, teach us uh, over these next weeks and over these next months, help us to, to hear what you're saying. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to challenge us all. May we approach with a humility that maybe I don't have all the right answers or maybe the angles in which I've looked at this book. Teach us something new and let it be your spirit that does it. And so, Jesus, I give you thanks for this time, and I give you thanks that we get to do this together. Help us, I pray. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. The subject that we're going to speak to ourselves with over the next couple months is not as it seems. 
And I'm going to explain that by seeing this. Our, our author of the book of Revelation, his name is John. And something happens to John in about five to seven different occurrences in the book of Revelation. And it's very important. In fact, if you were to take a look at chapter one, verses 10 to 12, you're going to see the first moment of what this is all about, where it says this. It says that John hears something and so he hears it, and he's kind of getting excited, and he turns around, and he sees something completely different. Have you ever had that happen to you before, where you had an anticipation of something over here, and over here it was completely different for you? And this is exactly what happens to John several times through the book of Revelation. He, he literally see, hears something over here, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more next week with this first one, but he hears it, he turns around, and he sees something else. And then he even gives an explanation. I saw something, and he says the word like the Son of Man. Have you ever had trouble explaining something before? And so you use the word like to try to make a comparison to what was happening. This is what John is doing. And he's no different than you and I. I mean, he's trying to make sense of something that he heard and he saw and his words, his vocabulary, he can't even imagine what he's about to do. But what I need us to do today is I want you to hold that tension that when you hear something, perhaps you may see it differently. I want us to hold that. One of my favorite authors as I've studied for this series today is Daryl Johnson, and in Daryl Johnson's book, this is what he said, and it just captured my attention and thus brought the title to our series today. He, he basically says that throughout the book of Revelation, things are not quite as they seem. Perhaps you've learned a certain way when it comes to the book of Revelation, and he provokes us to think, maybe things aren't quite as they seem. And so we landed on a series title, Not as it seems. When it comes to the book of Revelation, we all have a theological responsibility when it comes to this book, one that I do believe has been ignored a lot by a lot of people. We have to understand that there was an original audience. We have to understand Revelation's relationship to the rest of Scripture. Did you know that throughout Revelation, it is filled with doctrine. It is filled with practice. And when we practice theological responsibility, you know what it does for you and I today? It helps us. But there is also this thing called theological irresponsibility, and I'm here to tell you that that can harm us. And so today we have a theological responsibility. How we enter to Revelation is so critical for us. We need wisdom, and I want us to see right away before we start this entire series is that Revelation is a book of hope. It is not a book of death and destruction. It is a book of hope, and I want to peel back the layers so that you and I can see why this is so hope-riddled for us today. Author Michael Gorman says this about the purpose of the book of Revelation. It's to persuade its hearers and its readers, both ancient and contemporary, to remain faithful to God in spite of the past, the present, or the possible future suffering, whatever form of suffering might take, and whatever source it may have, simply for being faithful. In spite of memory, experience, or fear, Revelation tells us covenant faithfulness is possible because of Jesus and worthwhile because of the glorious future that God has in store for us and for the entire created order. Revelation is about to unpack some very powerful truths for you and I today if we choose to listen to it. 
And as we approach the book today, I want to give you three things that are going to be the foundation for this entire series. If you could sear these three points into your head, it will help you manage as we walk through this series called Not As It Seems. The very first thing that I want us to see about this entire book is that the book of Revelation is a book about Jesus. Right away, the very first words, it says that this is given to us from Jesus, and it is about Jesus. This is not about the Antichrist. This is about the living Christ. You need to catch that. Here's a fun fact for you. The word Antichrist, not found in the book of Revelation anywhere. Chew on that for a second. This book, though, will build so much clarity to us about who the person of Jesus is. There are a lot of things in here that people get lost on, but if you understand the one reason why this book was given, it is about Jesus. The clarity of who he is, what he has done, and not only that, what he is going to do. And guess what, church? He's coming back again, and we can bank on that. The second thing that I want you to see when it comes to this book is that Revelation is a book about discipleship. This is not about a rapture out of this world, but faithful discipleship in the world. That's what he is looking for you and I today to walk and to live in. This is a discipleship book for you and I to look at. Michael Gorman continues and he says, Revelation is a powerful wake-up call to those who have taken for granted beliefs, commitments, and practices that should be unthinkable. Let that sink in for a second over your life. Revelation is supposed to call out all of these pieces the granted belief systems that we've had, the commitments that we've made, and the practices that we are living in and doing that should be unthinkable. Why? Because this is always about lifestyle. This is about what Jesus wants to do in and through you. Revelation is not a puzzle or a code that must be solved to predict future events of today. What we need to see Revelation as is that it is a call to a lifestyle of discipleship. That's what he wants from you and I today. This discipleship is key to this whole entire book because what is online here is you. This is your life in front of the pages of what Jesus articulates to you and I. And he's asking us these questions today. Who's going to be Lord of your life? Who are you going to worship? And let me ask you one more question. What is shaping your lifestyle today? This is what it is when it comes to discipleship. The third thing that I want us to see about Revelation is that it is best explained with the whole entire Bible. In fact, Eugene Peterson says this, that everything in the Revelation can be found in the previous 65 books of the Bible. People think that this book is so abnormal that it's like, how did it even get in here, right? Good question, but it is. And actually, the other 65 books of the Bible talk to us in the book of Revelation. It's, fan, it's fascinating, actually, to see it. Remember that as we look at the idea of that revelation is, is embedded in all of the books of the Bible, but when it comes to the particular book of Revelation, we have to understand that it was written to a first-century church for first-century Christians, and it used first-century literary devices and images it's funny how we try to take those images from the first century church and try to plant them into the 21st century because they don't make sense. And that's why we have a lot of confusion and chaos when it comes to it. But we have to understand that it has a literary feature to it to help us understand. 
Udo Schnell says this, that revelation conveys a single idea today. It communicates to the threatened earthly community the assurance of a heavenly victory. That's what this is all about. Has anybody noticed the threatened earthly community that you have lived in before? Anybody? Have you seen how threatened this is? But what Revelation is ultimately going to show you is that the heavenly reality, and guess what? Here's the, here's the, the answer to it all. Jesus wins already. Like, it, it's, all, it's done. He has it. But we have a threatened earthly community that we do live in, that we do walk in. But Revelation is about to expose the fear for the hope that God is in control. He wins and there's hope when you pay attention to the book called The Revelation. So this book is downloaded to a guy whose name is John. And we're going to pick up more of John's story next week. Um, It's important as we continue in chapter 1 to look at him. We're going to save that for next week. But his name is John. But what is really critical to know about this, John, is why is he writing this book? Like, what is the function of it? What is its literary structure? Because, believe it or not, it's very important to understand the literary intent behind what John is trying to tell us. In fact, as I've been reading, I've found five. And I'm not going to share all five with you today. I'm going to share a couple with you in the weeks to come. But today I want to give you three because I think it's that critical to understand how we open the pages of this book. So I'm going to use a quote. And in that quote, you're going to basically see the three types of literary feature that become important to reading Revelation. Why am I reading it? What's the lens in which I should approach it? And this will help you in your theological responsibility of knowing what Jesus is trying to communicate. Fair enough? Here's the quote. As an apocalypse, it reveals what soon must take place. Verse 1, we saw what soon must take place. As a prophecy, it testifies to the Word of God and to Jesus Christ, verse 2. And as a letter, it addresses the seven churches in the Roman province of Asia, verse 4. So we see three types of literary structure there that we want to unpack today. And let me do that by jumping into the very first one. And it is the literature called apocalyptic. Now, in Revelation chapter 1, verses 1, it says that the revelation from Jesus Christ... The word revelation in the Greek is the word apocalypsis. And in our modern day culture, what does that mean? Ah, it's the end of the world! Zombie apocalypse! Right? Like that's what we do. In our modern day culture definition, we think that apocalypse is end of the world, doomsday, it's all done, it's over. But according to the Bible, that's not what it is saying whatsoever. Interesting how we approach this book with such a fear, and yet what Jesus is saying is, no, this is not about fear. I'm about to do something. So the word apocalypsis has these definitions to it. It means to lay bare. It means the disclosure of truth. It means manifestation or appearance. What this is ultimately saying when it says the revelation, the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ This is what it is meaning, that there is an unveiling, there is an uncovering, it is a grand reveal, it is a breakthrough of something, and what is the breakthrough of? It's the breakthrough of Jesus Christ to this world. That's what this is about. So what we are seeing when we see the word revelation, apocalypse, it's not zombies, it's Jesus uncovering something, and he is revealing something to you and I today that is so important, that as apocalyptic literature, revelation is intended to reveal, not conceal. But it's funny, isn't it? Because we have it backwards. 
in our culture. We think that revelation is so mysterious and it's going to conceal everything that we can't understand it. I totally disagree with that statement. Because if the word apocalypsis is about revealing, what is Jesus trying to do with you and I today? He is trying to reveal something about who he is. He is trying to reveal something to you and I about what your discipleship means to live in this earth. It is revealing to you and I today that this book and in its entirety speaks to the apocalypsis that Jesus has for us today. I love what John Collins, not our own church John Collins, because we have a guy whose name is Church Collins. Uh, but this is what John Collins says about apocalyptic literature. It's a genre of revelatory literature with a narrative framework in which a revelation is mediated by an otherworldly being to a human recipient, disclosing a transcendent reality which is both temporal insofar as it envisages eschatological salvation. Don't get lost in the words, okay? We'll explain these as we go. But, and spatial insofar as it involves another supernatural world. Okay, don't get lost, but this is what it's saying. An, an apocalypsis is when other realm, another dimension, think Marvel movies. I know Pastor Tyson did that quite recently. But it's another dimension. And in that dimension, it is taken to earth and it is revealed. That is what happens here in Revelation. It says that John is on the island of Patmos, which is a location just off of the coast of Asia, and he is in a jail cell. He's on earth, and all of a sudden it says that he hears something, and he turns around and he sees something totally weird that's different than what he heard, but it is this apocalypsis where another realm, another dimension is making its reality here on earth. Jesus prays a fantastic prayer, and he encourages you and I to do it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in where? Amen. Another dimension, another reality. I want heaven to come to earth. And what happens in Revelation is the reality of heaven. The curtains are being peeled back and he is allowing John to see something as he is on earth. That's what apocalyptic literature is, is that a heavenly dimension downloads something to you and I as earthly beings here. The apocalyptic literature seeks to do two things. First, it seeks to set the present in light of the unseen realities of the future. For if we know what the future holds, it determines the choices we make in the present. Think about this for a second. I just said to you that the second point you have to look at when it comes to Revelation is what? That it is a book about your discipleship. If we know what is going to happen in the future, don't you think, church, that it should make us affect and live our lives the way Jesus wants us to right now, not when we're dead? He wants us to live and walk in this discipleship today. But secondly, it says, and more importantly, it seeks to set the present in light of the invisible realities of the present. The fundamental conviction of apocalyptic literature is things are not as they seem not as it seems. And I hope that Jesus reveals, not conceals, to us as we investigate this book of Revelation together. I want you to also keep in mind that Revelation is not, is not the only piece of apocalyptic literature that we have in the Bible. In fact, there are several other instances throughout the Bible that are apocalyptic in its nature. And what that means is that something else from a different realm and reality, heaven, angels, has come and downloaded information to us as human beings. And so this is not as weird or as strange as we've made it to be because it is embedded in the pages of the rest of the canon. 
And so apocalyptic literature is the first type of literary that we see here. The second one is prophetic. And we, are, we read that God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy. So a proclamation. Many people assume, though, that Revelation is a prophetic book in the sense of predicting future, world-ending stuff, which it has some tones of that. Many people will think that the pages that you'll read are literal and linear, which again may be your position, but like I said, in humility, we could all approach this, okay, you know, we can relax if you have a different position than me, okay, but we think as it literal and linear. But again, if we were to be theologically responsible, as I asked earlier, you would need to know this. Prophecy in biblical tradition is not exclusively about making pronouncements and predictions. In fact, what prophecy is in the Bible most of the time is that it brings and speaks words of comfort and or challenge on behalf of God to the people of God in their concrete historical situation. So what we need to understand that when we read the book of Revelation and why God says that you're blessed when you read it is not to scare you. It's to bring you hope. It's to bring a comfort. And the comfort is knowing that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, that he has conquered sin and death, and he is victorious, and he is alive. And that hope is what the prophecy is really ultimately about with us as we approach this together. In fact, we're going to learn that John uses some of his prophetic mentors, people like Isaiah and Ezekiel and even Daniel. If you haven't read Daniel, well, that's a good one. That's a lot of good revelation literature right there. But he's going to use his mentors as he teaches us together. Now, since revelation is word of prophecy in biblical tradition, we have to take care to understand that its primary purpose is to give words of comfort and challenge to God's people. Both then and today, it's not to predict the future and must, much less to do with precise detail. He wants to do that with you. And the third thing, and it's probably my favorite one, uh, besides the whole apocalypse thing. I love that. People, <laughs> people think it's the end of the world. Uh, and it is, actually, as we know it. And I feel fine. <laughs> See what I did there? REM, thank you. All right. The third type of literature, and this is where I conclude, is it's a pastoral letter. We are introduced in verse 4 that Pastor John is writing to the seven churches of Asia. So maybe the fun fact that you are unaware of today is that John had churches around him. And I'll, I'll teach us a little bit more about this next week, but John is in a prison cell for a reason. And from his cell room, he could look over the coast of Asia and he could actually see some of the spots where his churches are. He's been placed into that prison cell because of Roman persecution and judgment against him. And I'll tell you why he was placed there specifically next week. But good old John is sitting in his prison cell and he begins to pen this letter. And he's penning this letter with his churches in mind. It's as if I were to write a letter to you and I was lucky enough to get into the Bible and it was for you, call with church. Same sort of difference here. Pastor John not only is he giving us apocalyptic literature, which is very poetic and it's, it's beautiful and it's imagery and it's seen, not only is it prophetic, but we just, we see his pastor's heart. And, and Pastor John is right there and he's beginning to discuss for them and he's preparing them. What is he preparing them for? 
They're under Roman persecution as it is. So what is he trying to do to them? He's trying to encourage them. He's trying to give a word of prophecy to his churches to see that it's okay. Even endure the suffering that Jesus is still Lord. Even when it don't feel like it, he's still going to be there. And he's going to help you. And he points all of the personification of what that hope is into a person. And his name is Jesus. And he begins to, in this very first chapter, show us everything about who this Jesus is. Let me tell you about this Jesus, because he's pretty fantastic. I know we celebrated him last week with Easter, but there's more to celebrate today when it comes to my Jesus and what he has to say to him. First of all, he says, and I tricked you in it earlier, he says that blessed are those of you that read the book of Revelation. Aren't you happy that you're blessed today already? Come on, somebody. You can walk out knowing the blessing of God is already on you. But he goes on to say, listen, read it, obey it, do what it says. So we have something to work with here, folks. We have to walk from this place today and apply some of what is about to be read. Because Pastor John is telling us what is going to take place. He tells us in these words, he says, the, from Jesus, who, who was, who is, and is to come. Well, that's good, isn't it? And since the beginning of time, there's been one Savior. Since the beginning of time, there's been one God. And guess what? He's been through at all till we get to the cross where he suffers and he dies and he rises from the dead. And in that moment when he steps on the earth and he ascends back to heaven, and we don't know the end of time, but aren't you happy to know today that you got somebody who was and is and is to come? He's there for you. And he loves who you are exactly where you are. He tells us, Pastor John, he tells us about this Jesus. He was the first to rise from the dead. I love that about my Jesus, that no other God, no other religion has given themselves for you in such a way that Jesus Christ has done for you and I today. It tells us here that Jesus is the ruler of all the kings of the world. Guess what? He's more in charge than Justin Trudeau. Come on, somebody. More than you know, that guy in the States, uh, Biden or Trump or whatever you want to do, more than Vladimir Putin and what's happening. This is not a political thing. Although we're going to jump into some political stuff here because Revelation talks about it, but it says that Jesus is the ruler of them all. That no matter what is happening in this world right now today, Jesus sees it. The one who is in control is over the control of all of those other people. He is the ruler of all the kings of the world. He shed his blood. And that's what I love, love, love this part about the scripture. It says that he freed you. He freed me. I don't have to live my life in bondage anymore because Jesus has freed me. He looks at you today and he says, I love you. I came to this earth and I've got an incredible plan for you and I'm going to free you. And he invites us, as it says, to be a kingdom of priests forever. He welcomes you to his family today. And he accepts you for who you are. And remember I said to you, he's looking for your discipleship, but he invites and he welcomes you in. And that's, this is the last thing that I'm going to say about my Jesus today. The text shows me that he's coming back on the clouds of heaven. Are you excited that Jesus is coming back? You see, this is not just a fairy tale story. My Jesus is coming back. He defeated sin and death. And he is coming back for his church. He is coming back for those who have said that they are going to be marked by his discipleship and the way that he is asking for you and I to live. And it says that he is the alpha and he is the omega. It means that he is the beginning and he is the end. And he's been constant and faithful through it all. This is my Jesus. 
So I am proposing to us today that things are not quite as they seem. I don't know what your approach has been when you've looked at the book of Revelation, but I'm here to tell you today that it is a book about Jesus. And if you see Jesus, you don't have to be scared about anything. You really don't. It is a book about your discipleship. And how are we going to grow to be like Jesus? And it is about us picking up the Word of God together and reading it and understanding it. It is understanding that it is apocalyptic, not the end of the world. Jesus just wants to reveal something cool for you. He wants to show you some neat things about who He is and you. He wants to breathe prophetic into you. Not only that He is coming back, which He is, but He wants to encourage you in hope. Are you worried? Are you anxious? Are you stressed out? Jesus is in control. You can settle in on that. And I love the pastoral letter. Hope. There's hope in Jesus. Amen? Will you stand with me? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for what you're speaking to us. And it is with a humility that we come to this book for years, decades, maybe some centuries. It's been fear-mongering. And I understand that we as human beings, we love to know all the answers. We love to know the outcome. But that's not what you have asked us to do here. You've asked us to see you. And you've asked us to submit our lives to you in discipleship. And I ask that that would be our journey on this together. That perhaps we would carry that humility that maybe I haven't. Maybe I haven't understood it the way I should have. And I'm asking you today, Jesus, to be gentle with us and gracious, as I know you will be. But I ask that we would see that you are the ruler of all the kings of the world, that you are in charge, and none of this is taking you by surprise. But when we keep our eyes focused on you, we too can stand in this world, in its tribulation, in its suffering, in its good, in its victories, and we can see you through so I thank you for that in Jesus' name. And with all eyes closed and heads bowed, I'm going to ask a question that perhaps you're in this room today and you have never asked this Jesus who died and rose again for you, who has a plan for you, wants to see you succeed in, the, in this life and to be his disciple. Perhaps today you've never submitted your life and you would say, Sean, I need to give my life to this Jesus. I'm telling you today that he loves you he has an incredible plan for you. But if that's you and you would like to accept this Jesus that we're talking about today, because that's what this book is about. On the count of three, if you would just raise your hand, look at me in the eye, and then quickly stick your hand back down, I would love that. So let's try one, two, three. Is there anybody in this room you want to accept Jesus Christ for the very first time today? And even if you're online with us today, and that is your story, I ask that you would text the word LIFE to 250-478-7113. And if you made that prayer today, made that decision, pray along with me under your breath. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming for me. And I know that in this chaotic world, I can have hope that even when it's uncertain and I don't know, you do. And I trust you today that you are a risen Savior, died and rose again, you shed your blood for me to free me. 
Thank you for being the Alpha and the Omega. Now take my life and use it for your purposes. Jesus, thank you for all of these things. We pray them in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Church, as you head out this week, make sure if you're looking to find out more about yourself, go visit uh, Erica and Aaron in the back corner there with the Rising Higher. Get signed up. Join into that. If you're brand new for the very first time, Pastor Josh is also in that back corner. Would love to meet you to say hi. And again, have a great week when things are not quite as they seem. We know this one thing. Jesus is in charge. He's in control and he loves you. Amen. Have a good week, church. We love you. We'll see you next week.